The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm the co-host, John Kane, and with us, it's rather strange to introduce the host of the program, David Schultz. But David is uh, observing a very significant milestone in the ministry, and that is 60 years as a pastor. Welcome to the program, David. John, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here. So today we're going to talk about four wonders, four great things that stand out in your mind uh, when you look back at the 60 years and counting that the Lord has given you to uh, to be active in ministry. You know, people uh, people's needs stay the same. Our, our world seems to change, and yet the people in it, uh, they have the same sorts of things that keep coming up. So let's talk about these four wonders aspect of ministry. Well, let's begin, first of all, with, with marriage. John, both of us look back upon that as being a milestone. And for me, it was a milestone. Uh, graduating from college, I, um, I learned that at the seminary, if I was to be engaged, and I was not even going out with anyone, that at that particular point, uh, we would have to go to a seminary for one year to prove ourselves, and that's exactly what had to happen. Um, but it's during that summer after graduation from college that uh, a friend of mine invited me to go with him and his wife on a, a date one night, uh, and he, he said, well, my, my wife will find you a, um, a blind date. I said, no, 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 no. You have to understand that a person is that's told that they're going to be dating a person who's going to be a minister probably doesn't even want to agree to do that. He said, she'll find somebody for you. Well, his wife found somebody and I went out with her and didn't like her. And, um, but that disliking change after a few, um, tennis blessings that we had together and another a date out to eat with, with them and I began to think to myself, you know, maybe I should consider this one. This is this is one that that probably could be good for me to think about marriage too. Well, eventually, uh, that summer, at the end of that summer, we were engaged. And a year and a half later, we were married. And from that marriage came five children. And uh, the second child, uh, both of our first two children were very ill with immune system issues. The second child died of leukemia when she was six, which put a really a very tense situation into our lives for a few years. And But it was during those years that I had my first call to northern Wisconsin coming out of the seminary. And uh, from that call in, in, with the church in the old countryside, I was asked to do uh, start a new mission in a suburb of the big city that was close by. And I said I would do that and did that, and I was there for three years. But the illness of our children didn't go away. We just owned a hospital, it seemed. Mm. And so as a result of that, um, I accepted a call to Arizona, which was great. And 
And it was two years into that call of a small town in central Arizona that the doctor determined that the daughter that we had, uh, the second daughter, had acute lymphatic leukemia and that they could not handle that. We would have to move to a bigger facility um, where they could take care of it. So I got a call almost immediately to a suburb of Phoenix, and there I was for 18 years. But it was really interesting how, as I look back upon those years, John, if you would ask the question, give me give me a summary of those 60 years in ministry. I could do it in five minutes. Because all the things that happened are history. They're past. The things that I remember are people's who people whose lives were transformed by the gospel, whom who Christ touched in a special way. I'll never forget them. I'll never forget their names, even. But the other thousands of people that I ministered to, I've long time forgotten about them. So it was in that third congregation, which to which I was called in Arizona, that um that the church made a decision to move from its old property because they were expanding very quickly to a new property. And that property was 10 acres of citrus on the outskirts of town. And uh, on that piece of property would be built a new church, a new school, a new parsonage. And that's exactly what we did. But it's interesting, John, that during the construction or the the planning of the construction of that building, um, I met a man who was the plumber. He was not a member of the church. His parents were. And he said to me one day, um, let me make you an offer. And I said, what do you mean an offer? He said, I will, I like your voice. And I said, what does that got to do with anything? He said, well, just listen for a minute. I like your voice, and I'd like to do one of two things to help you. I know that you're blur- you're that you are driving an old car without air conditioning, and I'd like to make you a deal that I will be either either buy you a new car with air conditioning, or I'll put you on the air for a year on a Christian station. Which do you want to do? You want to think about that? I said, well, I've never been on the air before. I can always get a car, I guess. Let's do the thing on the air. And that was the thing that began for me, John, the media um, that we were involved in today. How in the world did you get started with us in media? (laughs) You know, David, I I dabbled in radio a little bit with my uh, high school. And uh, looked at it once in, uh, they had a college radio station, but, you know, I've always had a passing interest in it. And, um, uh, you know, I, I had uh, a classmate at the seminary who was doing a few things in radio also, and I think that's how I first met you. Um, and then when you retired to Houston, uh, you know, it just kept coming up, kept coming up, and you invited me on the air one time to talk about uh, the local Christmas observance in downtown Houston. And uh, I think it kind of grew from there. So it's been 10 or 12 years since uh, you and I have uh, done a few things together on the air. Throughout all those years from the time that I began in Christian radio, for the next 14 years when I was in 
that small in that big town now in in Arizona um I was attached to Christian radio there was no talk radio at that time you would do a program or do a program daily or weekly and so I did a weekly program and it was interesting that there were times when I would be leaving the station the station manager would call me back in and say there's somebody on the phone that wants to talk to you about that message for today and I said well that'd be interesting to have kind of a talk program well eventually um it became a reality for me that I would put together a nonprofit corporation, which became uh, Evangelical Lutheran uh, Ministries back in 1989 or 90, somewhere in there. And that particular um, that particular broadcast uh, medium then helped me to more clearly understand the objective of Christian radio, and that was to proclaim Christ in him crucified and risen. Nothing else. The message doesn't change, but the technology would be changing. So that became a reality. And then probably 2007, we created a new Evangelical Life Ministries, and that became an interview, a program where we would interview guests from many different places in the country, um and the interesting thing was that um our philosophy of ministry was really based upon two passages Isaiah 55:11 my word will not return empty but it will accomplish that which i please and prosper where i send it and the other passage john was Matthew 24:14 the gospel of the kingdom uh, shall be preached in all the world as a witness to many and then shall the end come and we kept thinking as a team of people looking at the objective of Christian radio. Let's just fill the air with the message of Christ, and however we do it and wherever it goes will not be our responsibility. So it was during those days that we gathered people from Houston. We gathered guests to interview from Texas. We went to other parts of the country, and we even interviewed people from overseas. But the joy of it was these people were willing to talk about the majesty of God's grace in Christ Jesus, who not only lived for us, but he died for us and rose for us, that those who trusted that message would have eternal life as well. So we've talked about uh, two of the wonders. The first one is marriage. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that your life partner, Margaret, passed away this year. Um, and then also, you know, the the impact that you have had through media all of these years. You, you worked in St. Louis. You worked on the longest running uh, Christian broadcast there is in this country. And, um, you know, you've, you've had so many... Um, touches, shall we say, with with people across um, across the country, across the globe, that uh, your uh, your influence has been magnified so many times more than it would have been if you've stayed in your office at the corner of you know Main Street and Maple Street in some town USA. But your uh, voice has carried the good news of the gospel that uh, forgiveness is ours as a gift through Jesus. So using media, as that, as that springboard, then uh, you you've talked about so many subjects that are um, that that touch the heart and touch the soul. 
Uh, let, let's move on to one of the other um, wonders that you indicated to me you wanted to talk about, and, and that's um, archaeology. It was short after, or shortly after, John. Uh, I think it was probably in um, about the year. I can't even tell you about nineteen nineteen seventy nine or eighty that we finished building that new church in the Mesa, Arizona. Finished building the church and the school and the parsonage, and now preparing to see how to use the rest of that so that ten acres of of citrus that we had purchased. And one of the things that uh, happened was that the elders came to me one day and said, "You have worked hard at making this happen. Um, we'd like to just su suggest that." you find a way where for you and your wife to take some time off and go someplace. And um, it was at that time I heard about an archaeological excavation, and I was interested in archaeology. So um, I asked my wife, and she said she was not interested, but she would stay home with the children if I would like to go. And I said, but dear, it's a six-week um, away from home. And my dad had just retired, so he became my assistant at the church and he was the preacher of the teacher that during those years but the the wonder of going to the land of israel and being for six weeks on excavation was monumental the excavation was right next to a site that had been excavated the year before it was a wine press that had been uncovered the year before now this was the place where we were excavating was probably the business office or the business offices of that particular wine press, which meant that there were a lot of grapes growing around there. And how do the grapes grow in the summertime when there's no rain? Well, we slept in tents for six weeks, a great big monstrous tent where all of us, the 44 of us that were there for excavating purposes, slept in, in in that tent. But all night long, we could hear water running off the tents, but it wasn't raining. And here it was the dew that was coming off of, as the scripture talks about, the dew that waters the fruit trees. And so the grapes there must have been absolutely wonderful to build a, a, uh, a wine press right next to it. And so over the course of the six weeks, um, we went down inch by inch by inch into this ex excavatable site. We came across um, a site way down about seven or eight feet from the top, um, and we uncovered things that came out of the David and Solomon era. And we knew that the things in the site would represent something or hopefully would represent something that would be of biblical significance. And one of the, one of the archaeologists uncovered a wonderfully um, preserved um, jar. It was broken, but it was preserved enough that you could tell what it was and had a pointed bottom to it. And we said, what is this about? And the, the archaeologist that was on site said, this is a wine bottle. I said, what has it got a pointed bottom for? You can't stand this up. 
He said, well, if you learn from the scriptures that the Israelites were not permitted to trade with the people of the Gaza Strip, where this excavatable site was, these were the Philistine people. And they didn't marry them. They didn't interrelate to them. They didn't, they didn't trade with them. They wouldn't even trade wine for something else. So these wine bottles had to be made so that they could put on little ships and shipped out into the Mediterranean to stop at small islands and sell them. But the ships would not hold flat-bottomed um, bottles. They would have to be pointed to be able to be, um, um, so they could, they could travel those distances. So again, what we found in those excavations were absolutely wonderful things that gave us the opportunity uh, to see how the Word of God is so correct. I remember a passage, John, in Luke chapter 19, where it says, you know, when you stop speaking, Jesus said, the rocks will begin to speak. Yeah. And I keep yeah. thinking about that all the time, the excavation, the excavatable sites what we're really digging up is history. History in a way that helps us to understand how close biblical history is to um, the, the archaeological history, and that one proves the other, as this one did uh, so visibly to us. Uh, you could not purchase things, or you could purchase things, or you couldn't take with you anything that you uncovered. You would have to go into the city, and you'd have to find a shop that was available. One day we were in Nazareth, John. Uh, the bus took us on the weekends to different places, and we were in Nazareth, and I was walking through a little shop, and I spotted on the floor uh, a Herodian lamp, a little lamp that was made during a time of Herod the Great. And I said, well, I'd like to see what that would cost. So I, I asked the owner of the store, and he said, oh, that one will be $600. <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to pay that for a, a, a lamp, even though it's precious made 2,000 years ago. So I walked out of the store, and I walked across the street because it was right around noontime, and I saw him walk out, and another man walk in. And that other man was the person that who would take over during his lunch break. So during the lunch break, I walked over and I just kind of strolled in the store and said, I'm interested to hear to buy something to take back to America. And uh, I said, oh, here's something on the floor. This this Herodian lamp, what would it cost? He said, oh, that's $60. <laughs> so I paid 60 bucks for it and uh, away we went. But those were the wonderful years of excavation and I still today receive a magazine called BAR, Archaeological um, uh, Resources. And what's different today, John, in archaeology than those years ago when I went there is that there's less interest in trying to prove or trying to show biblical sites and interest and in how they in, are coordinated by what you find. It's some of the sites, John, that they find. You know, um, uh, 
former uh, vice president of our denomination, Professor uh, Paul Meyer, has also written a number of books, and he's made that comment about how fortunate we are that the Bible is uh, written in time, uh, written in a, a a place in geography, and we can go see those places today. And as you mentioned, they keep digging up uh, things that uh, uh, authenticate and explain further, further explain the words of Scripture in terms of uh, location and how the people lived. And uh, yes, our, our Lord was born into time and place as God in human flesh to earn our forgiveness for us. We can certainly be thankful that uh, there are places where we can see where it where it all all happened. We'll come back to Dave in just a moment. I'd like to remind our listeners that there is only one ELM Houston Evangelical Life Ministries. I'd like to to inv- uh, visit our program website elmhouston.org. There you can read more about us. You can also find shortcuts to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube accounts. On that site you can also donate to support our work. Also from our Facebook uh, page, you can find uh, podcasts of some of our past programming. All of our on-the-air hosts are volunteers, and so you can know that your donations go far to help us purchase radio airtime. We strive to have a variety of interviews, and we talk with people who are creatively sharing the good news of Jesus Christ at that intersection of where faith meets life. You can also write us at ELM, PO Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410. David, we've just got uh, just a couple of minutes. We want to touch on the fourth. We've touched about marriage, media, archaeological excavations. We wanted to get you to your fourth wonder, uh, something that you and I have experienced, uh, this wonderful evangelical explosion, if you will, here in the U.S. regarding prison ministries. You want to talk to us about that? Well, Grove Norwood invited both of us to go with him to Angola. Angola is a prison, a um, lifer penitentiary in southern Louisiana, uh, from which men would never get out once they got incarcerated there. And the Southern Baptists started a seminary, and you and I saw that, and we listened to the men who talked about their faith in Christ and what they are doing there in ministry at the penitentiary. Ultimately, we came back to Texas and said, well, maybe this can be done in Texas. And sure enough, in no time with the, with the uh, Board of Criminal Justice visiting uh, Angola, um, a prison system took the Southern Baptist opportunity and began a seminary here in southern, uh, just south of Houston. And you and my and I went to interview these students for many, many times. And one of the beautiful things that we saw, John, was the simple fact that these men have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And being in the seminary there for four years, um, they now have become um, workers, ministry workers in other penitentiaries to share the gospel with men who did not know who Jesus was. It would be neat if not only the Southern Baptists who have done it, but the LCMS would do it as well. But that's, of course, in the future. So we don't know what that timing is for our Lord. But John, probably the best time in our life was held together, visiting the penitentiary and listening to men talk about their relationship to Jesus. We just don't see change uh, to that degree in people, you know, walking around free out on the street. 
the the wholesale life changes, uh, the dramatic effects of of people who have gone from having no hope to being filled with uh, spiritual life and having the divine hope of of God living in their lives. It's just uh, uh, palpable. There, it's uh, just amazing what is happening uh, as as the Holy Spirit moves through those places like a wildfire. Well, thank you for being with us in Engaging Truth tonight. John, thank you for being a host with me for all these years, and thank you for continuing to be one of the hosts of Engaging Truth. Good night. We will see you again next Sunday night. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.